0: Pastor of Providence Bible Church in Omaha Nebraska I believe he was a graduate here in 2004 if I'm right Um, he's been here before some of you know he has a familiar last name Josh is my son and so it's uh, if you would welcome back Pastor Josh Is this the cool way music stands are used now? Or do I flip it around? (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, Exciting uh, to be back. Um, Let me uh, open us up in a word of prayer. And then I know you know where to head. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit uh, before we get to Philippians, but then uh, we'll be there shortly. Father, thank you that uh, we can gather. And just even pray now that you would be honored and uh, glorified in the time as we receive, uh, as it were, the food of your word, Lord, that it would satisfy and it would lead, Lord, to what seems often um, difficult, which is this topic of contentment. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I am a 2004 graduate, so he got the date right. Um, that's getting to be longer ago. Um, but I have sat, not quite uh, where you are exactly, because we used to do this in the music and worship. Is that what it's called? In the music room. That's always where chapel was. So I'm um, not sat exactly where you're sitting, but in essence, uh, very much so, I've been where you are. I'm getting to the place in my life where I have four boys, nine, seven, five, one, and uh, I feel the burden uh, in a different way. And so I've sat where you sat. I remember what it is to be a high school student for the most part. Um, And now I have an extra burden as a parent and I'm watching my nine year old grow up. And although you could say the world is different, um, it faces the same challenges that the scriptures address, the same kind of heart issues. Um, And at its core, the challenges that each one of you faces is that you are living in a world that if you are in Christ and you love Christ and you want to be obedient to his word, it is not your home. And so living for Christ is always going to be something that's going to feel against the cultural current. Uh, 2 Corinthians says, uh, Paul calls Satan that he is the God of this world. Uh, Jesus says he's the ruler of this world in John 12. And we inhabit this world. Of course, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Uh, Peter says that you are sojourners, aliens, uh, maybe the, the modern term of immigrants. Um, There's always going to be a way in which you won't feel completely comfortable, and if you start to feel completely comfortable, uh, it probably means you need to evaluate the way that you are living. Uh, I said I had four boys, and uh, with having boys, I think Proverbs is very applicable to girls, but I I very feel uh, an attachment to it as a father to sons, and um, you have Solomon talking to his uh, son and, and encouraging him and calling him to make a commitment to the Lord. And in that book, and you'll see, I think this ties to contentment, uh, in that book, he is looking at his young son, or perhaps at times sons, um, depending on where you're at in Proverbs, and he's really warning, him, particularly in the first nine chapters, but really throughout the whole book, of some major themes. So uh, over and over again, you're going to see in Proverbs these dangers, he says, avoid. Okay, and the way I think of them, because it really boils down to three major ones, um, it comes down to he's really concerned for his son that he is going to be uh, lured into temptation uh, of the temptation of easy money. And so if Robert talks over and over again um, that you're going to be very tempted to think that the easy path to get rich quick is, is the right path. He says, be very careful of that that can ruin your life. And so maybe in that you you could talk gambling or dishonest gain, cheating, and all those things that he talks about in Proverbs. The second one is easy sex Um, and to look at sexual intimacy outside of marriage. And so you have in um, Proverbs, uh, you have the woman that he is to avoid, the the forbidden woman, Um, over and over again. He says to the young son, and this applies to women as well, this is something that is going to ruin Your life. If you start pursuing sexuality or sex outside of God's ordained um, pattern for marriage, and the third one that pops up over and over again is this idea of drunkenness, and He says, "Run from it, and it's going to ruin your life if you don't." And so you can add into that, um, you know, drunkenness, hard drink, alcohol, uh, the idea of um, substance abuse in our culture, and I know with my boys. Those three things, if they're going to, you know, no one's unredeemable. So when I say ruin, I understand, I I know people can be redeemed. But when I look at them as their father and I go, there's the three things that really, um, if you think about people ruining their lives, making big mistakes, it's going to fall in those three categories, easy money, easy sex, and this idea of uh, drunkenness, or you could say kind of easy entertainment of kind of just being able to sit back and um, disconnect from the world not dealing with their problems the way they should. I know that those are these three issues that I need to teach them about. Um, that it, it, Yes, I want them to be saved and, and to know the gospel first and foremost, but then practically I'm showing them how the gospel intersects with that, uh, those three major issues. Now, for you guys, think about the culture you live in. Think about the media that you consume. Um, they say the average teenager consumes seven hours of media a day Uh, maybe you're on the low end either way i guarantee you you've watched more tv or interacted with social media or your phone more than the 30 minutes that i'm going to talk this morning and a lot more than if you add my 30 minutes to a 40 minute sermon on sunday so where you might get an hour of bible instruction maybe you go to christian school you get an extra bible five days a week so maybe you get you know five more hours there Uh, You're still not competing in any way against the message of the world. And what is that media? What is that world going after? Pretty much, if you start looking at advertisements and commercials, um, it's going to tempt you with this dissatisfaction um, to pursue careers and monies. Um, Obviously, the adage sex sells is true, and therefore, you're going to see it over and over again. Uh, The same thing goes with kind of things that become addictive, and they're going to present those to you over and over and over again. Those are the things that are trying to sell you, the very things that can destroy your life. And I get 30 minutes to try to say, run from those things, but I don't want to spend it to tell you to run from. I want to go to Philippians and tell you to run to something. And what Paul wants us running to is running to Christ. So turn to Philippians chapter 3. I know you guys know the context here. It's extremely helpful with where we're at um, in this section where Paul says he's content in all things because he's in a situation that's a lot different than your situation um, living in Nebraska in the United States in 2021. Uh, He's in prison. And this is not a nice person. I'm sure someone's talked a little bit about that, and we don't need to go too far into it. But he's probably in a hole in the ground. It is damp, it is cold, and um, he is probably more miserable than uh, you can imagine. Um, He's probably been without food longer than you've ever been without food. Um, He's been dirtier than you've ever been dirty. And he is able to say these words that we're going to study. If you look at chapter 3... And uh, I know Matt McGrew, I believe, was here last week. talked a little bit about this chapter in Philippians chapter 3. There is a connection um, because in chapter 3, he starts to move from the chapter 2, the great passage of looking at Christ and and being a servant of all. Um, But in 3 verse 7, he starts to show that a value system of the Christian is so radically different. And that's going to be huge with what you are satisfied in because he says in verse 7 of chapter 3, whatever things were gained to me... Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So the way he counted success, the way he measured um, uh, success in the world and whether he had value, he said all those things are lost for the sake of Christ. He says more than that, he counts all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him Not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God upon faith. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Of course, he goes on and he says that is the motivation by which now he's going to pursue and live his life. But I think it's important to look at that as context because before he begins that kind of this final chapter where he kind of starts and kind of does some summary things before he closes with the benediction in verse 21, uh, there is this movement of a value system that's completely different than the world's, that his value of Christ is everything. And so it's, it's not money, it's, it's not pleasure, it's not how much can I get out of the world and ring it. Um, it's not through relationships or any of those values. He wants Christ to be glorified in all things. And with that, he appeals uh, in chapter 4, verse 2, uh, to two people. Eudice um, and Syneche to get along uh, throughout Philippians. Hopefully you've seen this. Not only, you know, joy is, is big, but um, this idea of partnership and, and working together alongside contending for the faith. It's even, uh, it's a military kind of metaphor. They're, they're, they're locking arms and marching forward together. But then in verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. Whoa. And when we begin in verse 10, where you guys left off last week, He's going to keep with that idea of joy. And so the only question, it's a simple question, and and if you look and you're taking notes, it's not complicated. This morning, um, the question I have for you, is Christ enough? Is Christ enough? Because Paul's saying here in verse 4 that he is always rejoicing in the Lord. In fact, he says, again, I'm going to repeat myself, I will rejoice. And then we come to verse 10, And he kind of says again, but I rejoiced. You're going to focus on the things that are pure, noble, and right. And he's going to rejoice again in the Lord. And when he finds joy in the Lord, he's going to say that is going to be what is going to give him then contentment in whatever circumstances he finds himself. And so is Christ enough? The answer is simple. It's yes. But actually living that way, can be a lifelong journey that is quite difficult because you may have desires now, um, and I can testify of this 17 years later, um, that you don't get less desires, uh, you get more, you have more interest, you have more temptations, even good things. I love my boys, but I can start to find joy in them, ultimate joy, and although I can find joy in them, I shouldn't be finding ultimate joy that I can only find in Christ. So, number one, is Christ enough? Yes. But let's look how Christ is enough in all circumstances. So, if you're taking notes, you just say number one. Um, we're going to see in verse 10 through 13 that Christ is enough in all circumstances. Now, this is almost unhelpful from Paul because it's so encompassing that you're trying to say, make it a little more specific. Um, maybe I can help you with that a little bit. But for you, he doesn't let you go, but. In other words, uh, Christ is, is enough in all circumstances, but in my relationships or this challenge or in my family, or he, He's not enough when I'm not doing well with school, or He's not enough if I don't get into the college that I want to go to. And Paul doesn't give any caveats. Christ is enough in everything. And if you want to challenge Him, you can start to say, Man, I imagine Paul, a conversation with Him, and He would say, Go ahead. Try to make a case. Is your life harder than Paul's life? Are you in a situation more difficult than Paul's? I don't think any of us are in a hole in the ground in prison, and therefore I don't think we could really hold much water to argue that against him. But verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Again, it's just a way of saying um, it's not just a little joy. It's a great joy because, why, remember? It's because Christ Philippians 2 took on humanity, and he died for Paul's sin. find joy in that. If if Paul, just like us, is born into sin, and he deserves sin, uh, death, punishment, and eternal hell, and Christ delivers him from that, you can see where he says everything at this point belongs to Christ, and he rejoices greatly, and he says, now that at last, he says, Uh, You have revived thinking about me. Indeed, you were thinking about me before, but you lacked opportunity. And so he begins to go into the context of uh, very much this Philippian church. They provided for him. They sent a gift to him. God worked through them, as we'll see. And he says, not though, he wants them to know, not that I speak from want, for I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. He knows, he says, how to get along with humble means, that means very little, and I also know how to live in abundance. In any and all things I have learned, the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's movement here is to say, I can be content in every situation, whether rich or whether poor. Um, Whether you are someone who ends up being well-known or famous or someone who lives in complete obscurity Paul says that matters not to him Uh, If you have a lot a lot of friends if you have no friends He says you can find absolute contentment and by contentment. The definition um, Is satisfaction Um, You don't need anything more you say I have enough. He says you can find that in christ so whether you have a, a million followers on YouTube, or you have a private jet, or you don't have a private jet, he's saying there is no issue here. You in both circumstances, if you have Christ, because Christ is everything, then you should be able to be content. I found this interesting um, uh, recent survey with uh, students, and so a little bit younger than most people here, it was more ages uh, four to nine but it's changed a little bit at least. Not that I think in the core elements of Proverbs, uh, I think there's still the temptation of the human heart towards, like I said, those three things. Um, and we want them easy and fast and you know my way. But it used to be, if they asked those young elementary students, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, 1960s, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they said, an astronaut. Because we're going to the moon. And wouldn't you want to be one of these brilliant, uh, men who's going to go to the moon and say, okay, that makes sense. And I would say more from my era, you know, uh, who do you want to be? And it's like a professional athlete who doesn't want to be like Michael Jordan. But now that's not number one. It's not number two. Um, those kids all said the number one thing they want to be when they grow up, I shouldn't say all of them, but the highest percentage, so I think it was over 30% of them, said when they grow up, they want to be a vlogger or a YouTuber. okay. I don't even know if they understand what that is. And they probably do better than I even know. Um, My kids are a little sheltered, perhaps. But there is a movement from, um, hey, can I build something and do this, to I want to build. You can build, I think, within those platforms. But everyone's looking, even when it was with a professional athlete, say in my case, or with a YouTube vlogger, it it is this idea of I can get more faster than I think they just drive on a lack of contentment over and over again, to where people get radically discouraged when they don't reach that pinnacle that they think, and they don't do it as fast as they can. The culture is going to send you messages over and over again that you need something more. That's what drives our whole market system in some ways. Um, you didn't know you needed that product. You didn't know you needed those clothes. You didn't know that uh, you needed um, that kind of gadget until you saw it and said, I want it. I'm just as guilty. We're coming up on November, December, the Christmas season, and I have my boys, and they have you know, their, their magazines, and then for them, it's Legos, and they're looking through Legos, and their life would be complete if they got that Lego set. Um, and you try to encourage them, although I think it's fun, and I think it's good to receive gifts and be thankful for them, that there's a difference between a want and a need. Unless you think I'm not including myself and you think I'm mature, my wife would stand up here and tell you I have the same issue. It's just different hobbies at this stage in life. Um, But the ability to say, I need this for a Christian should trigger you a little bit to go, "What, what am I saying? Do I really need this or is this, Me simply wanting something or buying into that this will bring a fulfillment that I can only find in Christ. Um, Paul understood, and I think the lesson for us is, if you imitate Paul as he's imitating Christ here, he's content in all things because of what he has, which is Christ. And that is absolutely enough in every circumstance. And so, then you're going to see a parallel verse to 13 and verse 19, uh, but he goes, and this is a famous verse, popular verse, and we can talk about what it doesn't mean, but I think by teaching it this way into this context, you understand it has to do with contentment. And so um, I was an athlete. I, I like watching sports, and uh, Coach Ron Brown, if you've heard him speak here before, Coach Brown always talks about how, you know, a lot of people like to use this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and he, he likes to, I mean, if he could, he would do it. He'd probably get a bench press out here, and he'd keep adding the weight and go, okay, Right? You can do 150 pounds, 200 pounds. Let's put 400 pounds. You said you can do all things uh, through Christ who strengthens you. Um, and so you can lift as much weight. And, of course, it's, it's kind of silly when you think of that way. And, and it's not meant to be uh, putting Christ as a genie in the bottle that you can do whatever you want. Um, it's this, I think, context of Paul saying that you can be content in anything and everything because Christ strengthens you. And that's going to be really important cuz so many people are tripped up because they take that verse and they just plop it out of context then you start thinking I can do anything that I want and that is not the heart of a Christian at all. Now, the heart of the Christian is I can do all things. I can be content in all things. I can suffer all things. Because of Christ, because he strengthens me. And it's parallel to verse 19 as well, if this helps you a little bit, um, that, and my God will fulfill all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Again, it's not saying he's going to give you um, all your wants, but he's going to give you those things that you need. So Christ is enough in all circumstances. And then looking at 14 through the end here, um, he's going to continue on. And I would say it this way, that Christ is enough in all circumstances, but Christ also provides through his word and his people. So Christ provides through his word and his people. There's this whole idea, and my church is named this, Providence Bible Church, um, that is very lost in this world, that God works through ordinary means. And by that, I just mean, so his providential work means he's not breaking the laws of nature. Um, he's, he's not in a great situation uh, example um, in my life. There's lots of them, um, but the, the best story I have is, is my, me and my wife meeting. Um, and there were these providential circumstances where God never did anything where uh, he broke the laws of nature, but he did keep my wife and I both single until we're you know 24 years old. And he did put us in a situation where she was working for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and my dad knew her, and it was, hey, there's this great girl, you should marry her. Of course, it was nine months before I met her, so whether he's prophetic or not, you can decide. Um, he was right about it, but you start looking back, and we've talked, my wife and I, that just circumstances, how it's just amazing how the Lord orchestrated that, That's what I mean by, by providence. So when he is going to fulfill, provide all your needs, and again, those aren't wants, those are needs, He does it through means, and sometimes it's going to be you are the one who receives it. But I think if you understand contentment rightly, and you understand Philippians 2, and you understand that Christ came not to be served but to serve, you'll understand that a key element to contentment is being someone who is focused on serving others. Because that's the Philippians. They understand what it is to be focused on other people and realize, oh, how does God supply all the needs? Again, yes, through the gospel, that message, but then he does it through his people as well. And in this case, he does it through the church. He does it in a gift, a financial gift. Look at verse 14. He says, nevertheless, you have done well to fellowship with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church fellowshiped with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. So he's just recounting history here. There there was lots of people who could have given, um, but you did it. He says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, Because he, again, says, "I, I understand you didn't have to do that. I understand I could be content without it in meager means, but wow, I'm so thankful for you and your partnership in the gospel. He says, in fact, I seek the fruit which increases to your account. He's thankful for the gift, but he's also thankful because he recognizes that they are serving, they are exercising the gifts that God has given them, and they will be blessed because of it. And he says, verse 18, I have rejoiced, but I have rejoiced in everything in full and have an abundance. And I have been filled, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That's where context is really helpful. Verse 18, I have received everything in full and have an abundance. He cannot be talking about his clothes. He cannot be talking about his physical circumstance. He cannot be talking about um, his social life. He cannot be talking about his popularity. It goes back to he understands what it is to be satisfied in Christ because Christ is enough. He needs enough. Whether you're the one struggling and understand, though, that you ought to lift your head up even in that and focus on others. And you'll understand that even in that, Christ gives things that aren't material. He gives opportunities to serve, opportunities to minister to people, opportunities to encourage people. And that can bring that level of contentment and understanding that God may have you in a certain place. He might even have allowed you to go through a certain uh, level of suffering, but it might be so that you can minister to others. And once I think you recognize what he's done, um, you find joy and say praise God for what he's done, even in Paul's case, that he is thankful. And there's other places uh, in his epistles where he's thankful for, he says, his chains because he knows that the Lord is going to use him. And as recipients of this kind of letter, um, you're one of those people who should be thankful um, that he was able to write this to us and for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 19, he says, And my God will fulfill all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Like I said, I think that's parallel to 13. I don't think he's really left the topic um, of joy, uh, rejoicing in the Lord, finding contentment in the Lord, and I can do all things Christ thanks to me. And of course, he turns it, though, in 19 to say, My God will fulfill all your needs. And so he's saying, I find joy and pleat contentment. I can do all things. I can suffer all things for Christ. But you also, he's saying, Christ is going to fulfill all your needs as well because his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You go to Ephesians. Um, God is, is, is one who doesn't have a, a bank account that, that runs dry. He doesn't ever get to a place where he, his riches are empty. They're, they're infinite, and he continues to provide them. But again, keep in mind, um, needs, not wants. And the needs is that we need a Savior in Christ. And the need then is the value system to say what we value most it's not what the world values, and that becomes the challenge. And he kind of closed the letter just with a, a benediction like he does in most. Says, says that now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially the household of, uh, those of Caesar's household, so even those Romans, uh, the grace, even those perhaps even guards, uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. How can the man be so thankful? How can the man be so uh, joyful? How can he be so content in such circumstances? It's because of who he understands Christ to be. And he understands who he is as a sinner and the need that Christ has met. And then he says, well, even at that point, he's willing to say Christ is everything. Christ is enough. And either he knows that he'll find joy in him, whether it's in life or even in death Either way, in fact, you guys saw that early in Philippians, there seems to be even a conflict within him as he approaches that issue. But he understands Christ is enough. That is to say, take joy in Christ, be satisfied in Christ. As you look out at the world uh, that you guys engage with, I I think this is where, uh, don't take it from me, uh, but from from Scripture. uh, Scripture warns you about these temptations and it was true uh thousands of years ago and it's true today to find discontentment to sit and to wallow in it and it's real and it has uh, not just spiritual consequences but you actually will find people and i do a fair amount of counseling there there's physical consequences as people uh, become so discontent that it actually starts to express itself physically um, in all kinds of different ways they find themselves seeking something joy happiness fulfillment in something that can't fulfill it Um, the best picture i have uh, for you science guys uh, and gals uh, a black hole a temptation is you think of a black hole we actually really don't know that much about black holes but um we understand at least that there's a strong pull of gravity i think there's a um a way of what you think a, a black hole is empty um and and that's what i find interesting because what we do know is it's not empty Uh, What we know is there's a massive amount of material by gravity being pulled in there more and more and more being compressed in an extremely small space. And your heart and your desires um, are like a black hole. Um, And what I mean by that is if you start pursuing things outside of Christ, um, you will find a way to want more. If you you fulfill all your desires and wants and needs, uh, in this world, you get the job you want, you go to the college you want, you get the career you want, you get the house you want, you get the family you want. Um, What'll happen is your heart will be like a black hole and it'll just keep asking for more and more and more and more because there's only one thing that's going to fill that and that is Christ. And Christ alone and Christ is the only one who can satisfy And so let this be your reminder from Paul here that you can find contentment in only one place, um, and it's in Christ, and Christ is enough. Father, thank you for the time as we begin our day, Lord, that we would um, evaluate where we are at. Um, Lord, what are the things that we love most? Um, And Lord, do we need to reorder those loves in a way that reflects biblical truth this morning. Are well, the things that we love more than you, um, because functionally, those are the things that drive our emotions. Those are the things that make us happy. Uh, those are the things that make us sad. Lord, let it be a reminder this morning that the thing that should drive us is Christ and Christ alone, so that even when circumstances, like the circumstances of Paul, things that are difficult, suffering, pain, death, sorrow, um, that those things, Lord, yes, they happen, Lord, but we are anchored in Christ, and Lord, as uh, there are storms and waves and tumult, uh, that we can be anchored in Christ and steady, Lord, yes, being affected in that, Lord, we, we are in this world, but understanding that we are not of it, and we have a hope, Lord, in both life and suffering and in death in Christ, in Christ alone. We just ask this in your son's name. Amen.